Tonight, we are going to consider the discipline of service. Service is one of those kinds of things that at the first looks very um, simple until you realize that the act of service is a lot different from the discipline of service. Anybody can serve in any particular way. Um, You can serve in all kinds of various ways. You can serve by hosting people in your home. You can serve by preparing meals. You can serve by standing in the pulpit and preaching one Sunday for pastor. You can serve by leading a Sunday school class. You can serve by going to someone's house and trimming some bushes. You can serve in all kinds of different ways. The acts of service are just plentiful. They about, you know, you take as many people as you get in a room and you can find a dozen ways each of different ways of serving and still not exhaust the list. There are, there, are, there are a multitude of ways to serve. But the discipline of service is a little bit different. It's not so much about what you're doing, but about how and why you do. Now, if we wanted to look in the scripture at service, we can find all kinds of different things. We could go to Isaiah 53, where, where uh, uh, Daryl mentioned this morning from the passage of the suffering servant, right? We, we, we could see that kind of service. We could go to Jesus with uh, his disciples in the upper room on the night of his cruci- the night before his crucifixion, where he is, he is uh, uh, having the Passover meal with them, and he washes their feet as an act of service. We could listen to Jesus talk about the greatest among you should serve. The Gentile, the, all the Gentiles, they lord it over them. But it's not so with you. The greatest of you will be the least. The one who leads will be the one who serves. Turning this whole idea of authority on its head. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But I want to point to a passage in 1 Peter. It's only four verses long, but it's a passage that I think really gets to the heart of service. So, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. So why don't you stand with me? Hey, y'all, y'all get out of the way so Mama can stand. Y'all all over. Talk about service. That's a service right there. That, that is a service. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11. Y'all know what I'm about to say, right? I know it's not common on Sunday nights, but it's still true. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, as we approach these verses, give us the heart of service. Help us discipline ourselves to serve. In Christ's name, amen. Last week we talked about worship. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that uh, one of the most common words of worship is serve, right? You serve the Lord. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Enter his courts into thanksgiving. And so there's one aspect of service that is God-directed. There's another aspect of service that is people-directed. But in this passage of Scripture, you don't see a distinction. Peter doesn't distinguish between, okay, when you're serving God, here's what you need to do. But when you serve other people, here's what you need to do. He doesn't really make that distinction. He doesn't draw that line. And there's a reason for that. Because I don't think there's a line between the two. Picture it more like, have you ever painted with watercolors? Uh, Brantley, Savannah, have y'all ever painted in your kindergarten class with watercolors? Have y'all done that? Okay, what happens to the color when you put it on the page? Does it stay in one spot? No, it kind of spreads out, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens with service. When you're serving God, it's going to bleed into serving other people. And when you're serving other people, it's bleeding into your service for God. It's not just staying in that one spot. There's no definite boundary between the two. It bleeds from one to the other, back and forth. And that's how it should be. What I find instead is that Peter kind of sets this whole context. Look back at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. So when Peter turns to talking about service, what he says is that it happens in the context of love. You love, therefore you serve. Keep loving one another earnestly because we're about to get to the serving one another. But before we even get there, we have to have the context of love. John 3.16, we read it this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave. His service, his giving of his son was done in a context of love. Because God loves is the reason that he gives. It's the reason a mother gives food off her plate to her mooching children because she loves them. It doesn't matter if she's still hungry at the end of dinner, as long as they've had enough food. We serve out of love. In fact, I'm convinced that you cannot serve another whom you do not love. If we are going to have the discipline of service, we must first have the discipline of loving other people, of loving God and loving others. Now, but you say, wait a minute, I can do all kinds of stuff for people I don't like. You can. But is that the discipline of service or is that just actions of service? You see the difference? The discipline of service is uh, what Nitschke called a long obedience in the same direction. You, you, don't, you don't stop doing that. You keep doing that. And you keep doing that. And you keep doing that. If we are going to serve, it is more than just an action and it's more than just a set of a few actions. It is a lifestyle of serving one another. And that only happens in the context of love. You have to love or you will not serve. Now, you might do some actions here and there, but there's no discipline of service where there is not first a love. That means that if we're going to serve, whether it's God or man, we have to love God and man. That means that if we are harboring ill will or hatred in our heart against someone, that has to get abolished. It means we need to practice the doctrine of confession, to admit that to God, to ask for his forgiveness and to seek his help in overcoming it. It's the doctrine of prayer, praying to God for the strength of his love to work through us so that we can begin to love the way that we ought to. It happens in the context of love. Also, 
I think it's interesting. He doesn't just talk about that context of love and then say, okay, so now that you love, make sure you're serving. No, he puts it uh, in connection with hospitality. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I know why Peter put this in there. He was attacking me. I know he was. Because it is so easy. It is so easy to get into the mindset of, and yeah, we do it, but we're grumbling the whole time. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah. Many, many years ago now, Trick Cathy decided he wanted to develop the heart of a servant in his people. He had, he had his own restaurant that he'd started, the Dwarf House. And by this point, it was becoming a big chain of Chick-fil-A's all over the place. The Dwarf House is still there. And I still can't believe this. He serves hamburgers there. Can you believe that? But Kathy saw he wanted to develop within this chain the heart of a servant in the people that worked there. So he started asking his operators to employ a new strategy. Instead of just saying you're welcome or no problem, we would say, my pleasure. He said, there's two reasons for that. One is because I want my people to have the heart of a servant. Not just to do the action, but to actually find pleasure in serving other people. He said the second reason was because sometimes we forget that it really is a pleasure to serve. And we all need reminders. And yeah, people love it and they think that we're so courteous and everything. And, and we are courteous, but... You know, the, the real reason behind that was to get the right kind of heart. He recognized that service and hospitality go hand in hand. You cannot serve another whom you begrudge. You can't. Oh, you can do some things for them again, but not really. Verse 10, Peter says, As each has received a gift, we serve in conformity to God's gifts. Now, that doesn't mean we only serve with what God has gifted us. God has gifted me with the ab ability <laughs> to speak. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Sorry, I bet my words mixed up sometimes. God has gifted me with the ability and the passion to proclaim his word. And sometimes I stumble over my words, and that's okay. Sometimes I can't get the right word out. Sometimes I can't even think of the right word to come out. But I have the gifting and the passion of a prophet and a teacher that combine together in such a way that preaching brings me genuine joy and it is a pleasure for me to serve God in this capacity. But not everything's like that. There are things that I have to do that I'd rather not do. But again, within the context of love and in conjunction with hospitality, God uses those things to shape me more into his image and much of our service. In fact, I, th I think a predominant amount of our service is going to come in conjunction with the gifts that he's given. What God did not make me, he has to work on me. But God has given me certain gifts, even if they're not as big as the other things, even if they're not as well-known, even if they're not as open. I'm an introvert. That's a gift. God has created me that way. Now, you might not believe that because I happen to be one of those introverts that can stand in front of tons of people and talk and be perfectly fine. But he's given me this gift of introversion so that when someone else is shy, I can say, I know how that person feels. 
God's given me a boot. Lesson? I know a whole lot better what Malcolm goes through, though. Even though I'm not even close to him on, on the struggle and the pain and the longevity of what he's gone through, man, I, I, I feel for you in a way I didn't feel for you two weeks ago. Exactly. Because, because now I can relate with you in a way that I couldn't before. Even in my weakness, he is made strong, y'all. And so God gives us gifts. Sometimes they're gifts that don't look like gifts. They don't act like gifts. They don't feel like gifts. They don't smell like gifts. Believe me, you don't want to smell this food. It doesn't smell like a gift. And I even keep my feet clean. That's the thing. But in conformity to his gifts, as each has received a gift. You know, I, I realize that we shouldn't change the word of God. But I think we can safely change this to as each has received gifts. Because we've gotten more than one, haven't we? Let's use them all in service to him. Second, uh, First Corinthians, excuse me, 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Folks, you cannot serve another where you have no capacity. God has given us everything that he's given us to give us the capacity to serve. And if there's an area of service where we feel weak, that is an area where we have to rely on him even more and recognize that us doing what he wants us to do will be empowered by his spirit to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. Without his capacity, we have no ability to serve. Not only do we serve with the conformity, the capacity of gifts, but we do so in community with each other. Look at this one. As each has received a gift, use it to serve yourself. No, the Christian life is not a self-service gasoline station. You're pumping for somebody else. Use it to serve one another. In Oregon, we went to Oregon. Other people had to pump the gas. It was way too expensive. <laughs> but it was kind of nice to not have to get out of the car for a change. Carrie told me the other day, yeah, I, I would have gotten gas, but I was kind of waiting until you were around so you could pump it for me. I don't mind pumping gas for her at all. In the same way, we use our gifts to serve one another. We don't use our gifts to serve ourselves. How, how terrible would it be to get to heaven and for God to say, well, you just completely wasted everything I gave you. What, what do you mean I completely wasted? I did... Look at all the things I did. And God stops us and says, wait, 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 wait. How much of that was for them and how much of that was for you? What a waste it would be to find out all of this lifetime of service that so many have accumulated. Years and years and years of service have all gone to please our own selves, have all gone to boost our own egos and not done a bit of difference for anybody else except incidentally, accidental goodness. No, no, we need to use our gifts to serve one another. That means we need to do it together. It means we need to do it with someone who's close by. When God says, love your neighbor, he means love the person around you. Love that person who's near. That's what neighbor means, the one who's near. Love them. You do it for them. Maybe that means you get slighted in the process. Oh, well, maybe that means you got a little bit less money. Oh, well. Maybe that means you got to go way out of your way. Maybe that means you got to spend all day running silly, unimportant errands. That service is just as good in God's eyes as leading massive revivals when done with the right heart.
Use your gifts to serve one another. Ephesians 4, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. A couple verses later, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for the, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you catch it? These gifts are given for all of us. You cannot serve another whom you are not around. That means you got to go to them. You can't just wait for them to come to you. You've got to go to them. It means you have to take the initiative. In a, in, in, uh, sometime last year, I don't even remember when it was, um, COVID was in one church member's house. And I went over to their house to take some food. And I told them, I said, forgive me, but I'm not coming in. I'm just putting this on the porch. Sometimes you might have to do that. You might have to be a little bit less around than normal to catch, keep from catching something. I get that. But surely you can drop something off on the porch. Surely you can bring it nearby. Surely you can write that card and send it in the mail. Surely you can find a way to get the blessing of God through your gift to an individual who needs it. It can't just be wait until they come. Let's find a way to get it to them. Aren't you glad, by the way, that Amazon doesn't make you come pick up your order? <laughs> they, they get it to you. Let's do the same thing with our gifts in community with each other. Last part of verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I debated a long time, should I put stewardship in this series or not? Because on the one hand, it is a spiritual discipline, but on another hand, it's just an outworking of, of other disciplines. And so my answer is yes. Here it is. When we take the things that God has given us and we use them for his glory, we are serving in connection with stewardship because our service isn't just the stuff we do. Our service is us being stewards of what God has given us. Now do you see why serve is one of the key words for worship? Because what you're really doing is you're telling God, everything I have comes from you. I use it for your glory. What else is stewardship? That's exactly what stewardship is. Now you might think, okay, that, that's applied to money is stewardship. But what about time? See, he didn't just give us money. Physical body. Some of us are strong. Some of us only pretend to be strong. Some of us are tall enough to reach things other people can't reach. That's me too. But too short to, to really get any credit from, from other guys around. Because I'm shorter than all the guys, but I'm taller than all the ladies. I'm in that range. Maybe in a, about another year or so, Nicole will be taller than me. She's, she's real close. You see, this idea of stewardship is connected to service because it's how we serve. Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. There's a reason he connects those two. Then look at verse 2. Moreover, you, you've heard this before. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Can I, can I give you something that is both encouraging and uh, a little bit condemning at the same time? God doesn't just want your service. He requires it. God demands it. 
It's all in connection with stewardship. You cannot serve another, by the way, when you are not intentional. Because what stewardship really boils down to is intentionally using it wisely for God's glory. Whether it's time, money, whether it's stuff, a voice, whatever it may be. And that service, that for his glory, that's an important part of this service. If you think about, if you think about service in the traditional way that we think of service, you do service in order to get something back. You serve, well, I serve at Chick-fil-A to get a paycheck. Now, that may not be the only reason I serve, but that's, that's, a, that's a primary aspect of this relationship, right? If I didn't get paid, it'd be a lot harder for me to go to Chick-fil-A every day and work, right? You, you serve oftentimes looking for something back. Maybe it's a thank you. Maybe it's a payment. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it happens to be, maybe it's an ego boost. Maybe you're serving just so that you can feel good about yourself. But we tend to expect something back. But what if service wasn't about what we get in return, but what God gets in return? What if, what if service goes beyond my benefit and their benefit and looks for his benefit? Well, we gotta recognize without him calling us, there is no service. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Who's the source of both of those? God. Who gives the oracle? Who gives the strength? So who's really the one empowering the service? So why am I boasting about my stuff that I'm doing when he's the one that's given me the words and given me the strength to do it? be like a glove boasting at catching a baseball, right? Glove didn't do anything. All it did was what the hand directed it to do. It went where the hand put it. It closed when the hand closed it. That glove has nothing to brag about. It's all, it's all in the player holding the glove. You cannot serve another when you are not empowered. We need his power. And the end of all this well, it's for God's glory. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we serve in calculation of God's glory. We don't serve just to make ourselves feel good, just to raise ourselves up a ladder, just to receive some form of payback. We serve for God's glory. That's the biggest difference between the actions of service and the discipline of service. When you are serving and you're looking for something out of it, that's not the discipline. So whatever you do, work heartily. That's for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The fact is you cannot serve another selfishly. You can do stuff for them, but the discipline of service requires selflessness. Pray with me. Father, you served us. You didn't serve us begrudgingly. You didn't serve us selfishly. You didn't serve us. You didn't even serve us just to be an example, and that's it. Like, like that was the whole purpose. You served us because you loved us. When you washed your disciples' feet, you washed them because you loved them. When you healed, 
You healed because you loved them. When you died on the cross, you died because you loved us. And it's because of your love that we can even know what love is. Father, thank you for serving us, for loving us. In that love, in that service, help us to serve one another. Help us be like you. Maybe our service is hospitality related, opening our homes, inviting people for meals, treating them kindly. Maybe it's mercy, taking care of the sick, buying groceries for the homebound. Maybe our service is more easily seen, teaching, preaching, leading. Maybe our service is standing over a copier, trying to get the thing to print after the 20th time. Maybe our service is fixing something up to work a little bit better, making a spreadsheet a little bit easier to work with. Maybe it's designing or decorating. Maybe our service is cooking, preparing delicious food, taking it to people who are grieving, giving a hug to someone who needs it. Maybe our service comes on postcards in the mail every birthday. Maybe our service comes in small gifts of appreciation and gratitude. Whatever, whatever our service might be. May it be honoring to you because it's from a heart of love for you and for others. May our service reflect yours. Most importantly of all, may it be pleasing and glorifying to you. Thank you for serving us. Make us good servants for you. In Christ's name. Amen.